Galatians 5, 2 through 6 is our text for this morning. Galatians 5, verses 2 through 6. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Pray. Father, as we hear this warning from Paul that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that we would not somehow think we're immune from this warning. Father, I pray that all of us would be found in Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by describing a person and you trying to guess who it is. My girls and I will play a game kind of like this. They ask a question, is it a boy? Yes. Does he live in Aberdeen? Yes. And we go until they figure out who it is. It's going to be a little different than that, but let me just uh, start describing this person. This person goes to church nearly every Sunday. They listen to K-Love every day. When they're driving in their car, this person dresses modestly. This person listens to sermons when they have downtime. This person has a Bible study plan and reads the Bible nearly every day. This person doesn't watch rated R movies. This person has never committed adultery and never committed fornication. Who am I describing? A Christian or a non-Christian? We don't know. We have no idea. You see, I would need to ask more questions. Do I see any waiting? Any looking? Any longing? Any hoping? Outside of themselves? Do I see any love? Mercy? Freedom? Peace? See, those things help much more than the previous things. The Judaizers that have showed up in the Galatian church listen to Caleb. Pretty much. Their stock that they come from are the Pharisees 
which, by the way, are much more godly than you in those areas of the first list that I read. And the scary thing is, is that it might be just as likely the person is a non-Christian that did all those first things. That that person actually, when they do those things, look out at those who don't and start to make themselves feel better. See, that would be a good question. How do you feel about sinners around you? What's it make you feel like inside when you see someone else committing adultery? What's your first thought? Does your first thought go to, I'm glad I've never done that. Or is your first thought, that's me, apart from the grace of God? You see, these are all important things that the Bible and God's Word cuts through and helps us distinguish the difference between a gospel that saves and a gospel that damns somebody to hell. Our text before us is a warning text. It's an absolute warning. When Paul says, look, the first word in, in verse 2, this is behold, wake up, listen up. He didn't ease into this. And so what I'm going to challenge you with this morning, and we'll consider this uh, at the end of the sermon as well, is this. Stand firm in Christ's grace by which the Spirit produces faith and love, the only thing that profits. Paul's main argument from the beginning of the letter is stand firm in grace. You might say, why six chapters? Because your heart will tend towards doing it yourself on your own. You will turn good things. Is reading the Bible every day good? Yes, reading the Bible every day is good. The Scripture tells us to meditate on it day and night. Can you read the Bible every day and be an absolute idolater? Yes, you can. You can take the good things of God and turn them into law that quick. So, all that to say, this isn't just to the Galatian church that doesn't apply to us. You, you know, cause a person can sit here and think, well, I've, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up on Christ. Well, let's just look. Let's take a good look at your life and see where your hope is set this morning. So, number one, warning. Do not trust in yourselves and be severed from Christ. The title of the sermon, What Can Sever You from Christ? Let's listen to what Paul says. Look, 
I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. There's a way that Jesus Christ can be nullified in your life. And he told the Galatians, if you accept circumcision. Now he directly, we knew he was alluding to it, now he directly says it. If you listen to these Judaizers and take Jesus and add law to him, Jesus plus anything equals no advantage, equals zero. No advantage to them and no advantage to you. Which gospel do you believe in? What does he mean to no advantage? He definitely and most clearly means it will not be eternally profitable for you if you add law to Christ. What he's saying is, is your sins will not be forgiven if you believe in a gospel where Jesus comes alongside you and helps you get over the hump. Takes what you've done, fixes it up a little bit, and says, now that's good enough. That's not the gospel that saves. That's the gospel that profits nobody. How do we know this? In Hebrews 11.6, the writer of Hebrews writes, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, and He rewards those who are good enough. No, that's not what it says. And he rewards those who seek him. If a person isn't living by faith in a God that rewards those who seek him rather than saying, here's my righteousness I'm bringing to you. Look at it. I did pretty good, didn't I? Here it is. There's no salvation offered to the person who's looking for Christ to help them out a little bit. It's impossible to please God unless you have faith in Christ for everything you need. You might be thinking, really? So a non-believer never pleases God? No. They don't. Because whatever good they do, they do by their own effort and their own strength for their own glory, even though, even though they may look humble while they're doing it. Because sin is defined as doing anything that falls short of the glory of God. You help an old lady across the street. If you don't do it for the glory of God by faith, you sin. So, do not trust in yourself and be severed from Christ. So it's eternally not profitable. It's also presently not profitable. To 
look at Christ and say, all right, that was good, Jesus, what you did. Now let me, by my own willpower or my own strength, get to work. That will not be profitable. That is not how the Christian lives. Listen to Colossians 2.20 through verse 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? He's dealing with a similar thing with the Colossian church. They're all, they want to follow Christ, but they want to add either pagan rituals or Jewish rituals to their faith in Christ. He says, why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. And then he says the, this, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the Bible but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That first list I read sounds really good. Looks really good. Looks like a Christian. But if that list is kept apart from faith, there is no power to restrain sin. That's why the Pharisees could look so good on the outside, but sin raged in their heart. So, you add something to Christ. It might look good. It'll be no, to no eternal value. You'll be dead in your sins when you face God one day. And it'll be to no present value as you'll have no power over sin in your life. Listen to him. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Remember what John said in John 15 in this famous passage when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches passage. Here's what he says. He's talking to the disciples. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. That's interesting. <laughs> he says, you're already clean because of the good news you've heard. And, and I spoke to you and you believe. The disciples are not good at this point, are they? They're continually screwing up, continually being rebuked for their lack of faith ye of little faith. But here's what he says. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For... Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, here's the thing. Anything you do 
outside of abiding in Christ. And as we're going to see in a moment, you abide in Christ by faith. That's when you get the power of the Holy Spirit in your life when you abide in Christ. Anything you do outside of that, you can do nothing. It's the same way of Christ is saying it's to no advantage. You're wasting your time. And I wonder, Christian, how many things you attempt to do outside of faith in Christ in your own power and basically waste your time. As I look at my life, I would be praying a whole lot more if I believed this text by faith clearly, moment by moment in my life. All the power has to come from you. I believe in the power that comes from you. And then look what he says, verse 3. He just adds to his argument. I testify again. That again, I think, goes back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Christ won't be to your advantage if you receive circumcision. Oh, and remember, again, the second time I'm telling you this, if you accept circumcision, you have to abide by the whole law. You can't break it in any point. If you break it at one point, you become a murderer and an adulterer and and, an idolater and every other thing in the law. So, Galatian church, you really want to add law? Which you add the whole thing, by the way. Galatians 3.10, he said it this way, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. It's counterintuitive. The righteous are those who get themselves righteous, right? No, it's not. It's those who live by faith in someone else who was righteous that God says is righteous. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And then he goes on in verse 4, this ironic statement, you are severed from Christ You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Circumcision involves a knife. You want to be circumcised? Then cut yourself off from Christ, from grace. You might think, what's so bad about somebody wanting to just add to Christ's work? You know, just try to do it in their own strength. Well, you're created to give God glory. And when you do it apart from your union with Christ, you steal His glory. It's the most fundamental sin 
of creation. Man going after the glory God deserves. You know, we, but it looks so good. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? You put that list up, just everybody applauds. And yet, that beautiful picture, that outward look can be so rotten that it deserves eternal punishment in hell. There's two types of people in the world. Those who trust in Christ and those who don't. What are you going to offer Him? If you're not just going to wholly go by His grace, what work are you going to bring Him? What will we put forward before God? In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says this, who, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? Everything good in your life is the result of the grace of God bringing it about. What do you have good, what do you have commendable that was not a gift from God to you? Therefore, wholly give praise to God. Trust Christ for everything in your life. James says the same things, that every good gift comes down from our Father in heaven. Of His own good will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of, a kind of, a, of first fruits of His creatures. What fruit can produce itself? Fruit can't produce itself. It needs a tree. We're called first fruits of God's creatures. God is the one that empowers us to produce fruit that created us. We were dead. A new creation is what was needed. Uh, an illustration that we looked at down in Sunday school is one of the problems with a person trying to save someone drowning. In fact, uh, I was watching videos on this last night. They actually recommend not jumping in to save someone who's drowning unless you're a trained lifeguard. You're supposed to try to throw a towel out into the pool or throw... You're not supposed to jump in. Why? So many. There's so many multiple drownings because when the person going out to save the other person gets there, the person is flailing their arms because they don't know what they're doing and pulls the one who came to save them down and they both drowned. To be saved, in a sense, if you were going to go after them, what you'd want to say is, Stop! I'll get you out of here if you stop! That's how it is with Christ. That's what salvation's like. Stop, proud man and proud woman. Let me save you. Let me empower you. Live by faith in me and not in yourself. You know, one of the more traumatic images I have in my mind was when I lived in Minnesota, uh, I had a little German short hair uh, named Timber. And it was my, Laura and I were just married. 
We got a dog three months after being married. Every night we would take Timber for a walk. We lived out in the country. And uh, I, and about a block away down this gravel road was some of our really good friends. And Laura and I were walking um, towards the house, uh, to our friend's house, and their son, uh, which drives a big old pickup, was kind of coming right at us, and Timber's right out in front of us. And he didn't slow down at all, and Timber didn't, didn't get out of the way. And the tire went right over the center of Timber's body. Kind of got, I just got the image in my mind. Timber went down, skidded for about, I'd say, four feet before the tire actually went over. And where we lived in Minnesota, there's woods everywhere. And Timber made this horrible sound and drug herself faster than I could run into the deepest woods ever. And the mosquitoes were horrible. And I'm running through those woods. I'm looking. I'm yelling for timber. And she's nowhere to be found. And I'm thinking, just I'll help you if you'll just come. Why are you running away from me? Don't you realize? You're going to die if you don't come. Why are you running? By the grace of God... We had youth group that night. We had it out at our house. That's where we would do youth group. I was a youth pastor at the time. Had youth group. The whole time I'm doing youth group, I'm looking. It's just like, is she ever going to come? Now it's been six, seven hours. Went to bed that night at 12.30 at night. We heard something on the door. And here's Timber scratching on the door. And she was in really bad shape. Her legs were just ripped open. And she ended up living... But I just thought, what a picture of what people do who hear of Christ and yet demand on saving themselves rather than giving up and taking the care that we need. So, do not trust in yourself and be severed from Christ. Second, Wait for your hope of righteousness by Spirit-empowered faith. All right. If you're not supposed to trust in yourself, how then shall you live? What shall you do then as a Christian? Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of of righteousness. Just read that again. Here's how you live the Christian life. For through the Spirit... Just stop for a minute. I can hear the Judaizers saying, well, if you're going to reject the law, then how are you going to live? Paul's answer is, through the Spirit. The law never did you any good. The law never made you any more holy. For through the Spirit, by faith, that's what the Spirit produces in us, what do we do? We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What's a Christian look like? Someone who is eagerly waiting for their hope of righteousness to return. It is true 
when you trust in Christ, that moment, you are justified. And yet, it is also true that as Christians, this side of Christ's return, we want the culmination. We want to hear the declaration. We want our righteousness to show up and see the conclusion of our salvation. This is what a Christian life looks like. You live by the Spirit. What does the Spirit have you do? Live by faith in what? The Spirit's words. Where's the Spirit's words? In the Bible. So the Spirit empowers us to look at God's Word and hope in the promises which all come together in Christ and look forward to our righteousness. Christians are hoping people. People who look forward. If you are not trusting in Christ, you may do a lot of Christian things, but you won't be waiting and hoping and longing to see that righteousness. That's one of the marks of a Christian. What's faith look like? Waiting? Hoping? Listen to Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. The very next verse. By faith... Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So what did Noah's faith look like? God made a warning. Build an ark or you're going to die. He believed something he could not see. He was looking forward to the promise of God for salvation. He was trusting in God's Word. And the writer of Hebrews uses this as an example of faith. <clears throat> in fact, in Genesis 7-1, as soon as... Uh, here's what we read. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in all this generation. Was Noah a sinner? Yeah, Noah was a sinner. How can God say, I see you are righteous in this generation? He believed by faith. He looked forward in the promise of God and believed uh, God's promises. Hebrews uh, 6.13 Let's look at Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God basically said, I'm telling you the truth and I have no one to swear by because I'm God. There's no one greater than me. God made a promise saying, surely I'll bless you and multiply you. And then it says, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited obtained the promise. There's faith. Faith is waiting in the 
promises of God to be fulfilled on our behalf. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, trains us in godliness and makes us wait for our righteousness to appear. How about 1 Thessalonians 1.9? For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols and served the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. See what faith looks like? How about 1 Corinthians 1.7? So that you're not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's no surprise that in Luke chapter 2, when Simeon is described, here's what we read, Now there is a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is patience, waiting, hoping, in Christ. A few verses later, we have Anna, and this is what she says to the people of Israel. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And then what does Jesus teach in Luke 12? Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once. And when he comes and knocks, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he'll come and serve them. You know what, you want to know what that is? That's us getting our righteousness. Stay awake. Be ready for the bridegroom's going to come, and when the bridegroom shows up, he's going to do a surprising thing. He's going to put a robe on, he's going to become a servant, and he's going to give you a feast. Christians wait and hope in the Lord. Someone trusting in a form of Christ that adds works to it, is always spinning. Always having to make sure, I hope, I hope. It drove me crazy. My grandma would always say to me, well, I hope I make it. I'd share the gospel with her. Grandma, didn't you hear what I said? You can't add anything. Well, I hope I make it. Grandma! I hope I make it too. 
but I have no hope in and of myself. My hope has to come from outside of myself. Faith looks outside of ourselves. You want to know where assurance of salvation comes from? When you start looking outside of yourself to your righteousness. That's when you start to be assured that you in fact are His. One of my favorite books of the Bible, Jude chapter 21, I mean verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Isn't that interesting? You evidently can live in a way that you get yourself out of the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who leads to eternal life. This is a sinner waiting for mercy. I can find joy in that. And then a few verses later, does it get any more beautiful than this? Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and forevermore. There is only one who is able to take you into the presence of the holy God and to present you in such a way that you stand. He is able to do it for you. And so you must live your life by faith in Him. In the power of the Spirit. Luther understood this. He was miserable trying to be good enough. Here's what he says. This is very important. This is a very important and pleasant comfort with which to bring wonderful encouragement to minds afflicted and disturbed and disturbed with a sense of sin and afraid of every flaming dart of the devil. Your righteousness is not visible and it is not conscious, but it is hoped for as something to be revealed in due time. Therefore, you must not judge on the basis of your consciousness of sin, which terrifies and troubles you, but on the basis of the promise and teaching of faith by which Christ promised to you as your perfect and eternal righteousness. As you look inside, you do not see perfect righteousness. But as you look outside of yourself by faith, you see, and you see Christ, there's your righteousness. There's where your prayers start to become. Lord Jesus, come. Come. My hope is in You. That's where my sin ends. So are you waiting for Him? Where's your hope? Where's your, where's your hope? What makes you smile? Is it when you clean your life up to a certain degree and other people see it and say, good job? There's no hope in that because you know what goes on when they're not watching. Our only hope is in Christ. 
You might be thinking, so what do we do? We just sin and wait for our righteousness? By no means. Look at verse 3. Work out of love as the result of your faith in your union with Christ. We're not saved to not work. We're saved to be workers of love. The difference is, is the work comes as a result of our salvation, not as the grounds of our salvation. See, that's freedom. That's when you're really free. Faith looks entirely away from oneself and grasps Christ's righteousness. Galatians 5.22, look at the fruit of the Spirit in your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you trust by faith in Christ, that's where power comes from. The law, all the rules cannot change your heart. If you trust by faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in power and you begin to change. You see, if I was going to go through that list, I'm describing someone who's loving, I'm describing someone who's gentle. I'm describing someone who's faithful. I'm describing someone who's self-controlled. Well, now you have a new creation being described. You have uh, someone who God is changing at a heart level, something the law could never do. In Galatians 2.19, we read, For through the law Christ died to the law, so that I might live to God. Jesus died for your sins, to take your sins away, that your righteousness would be there. But He also died so that you might live right now for God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So there's a new creation there. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the flesh. Or the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, that's union with Christ. That's apart from me, you can do nothing. But if I live inside you, now you can be sanctified and become more like Him. 2 Corinthians 5.14, here's what Paul said, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. That's faith, by the way. Paul says, the love of Christ controls us for we concluded this. Well, how did the love get there? Because conclusions were in the minds of Paul. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all that those who live... So how do, how do I live? That's the question before us. How do I live now? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on then... We therefore regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus died for you to take away your sins and to make you not selfish anymore. Here's the thing. If you're full of Christ's righteousness, you can be selfless. What more do you need? If you believe the Gospel, God's only going to do good for you the rest of your life. Good circumstances, bad circumstances. Your identity is secure. It's forever. Your inheritance is eternal. If you believe that by faith, you're in position to be the most loving person on the face of the earth. How? You don't need to go after people to get your identity. You don't have to use people anymore to make your life better. If you're full in Christ, you get to give away. Jesus died, gave you the gift of righteousness so that you can stop trying to create your own righteousness and be full in His righteousness. And then by pure freedom, kill sin and love others. That is not slavery. That's freedom. Love marks the Christian. John 13.35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Look at verse 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. You see what he did there? He attacks the legalism on the other end of it. He's saying if you're circumcised, you sever yourself from Christ. But if Galatians, you get excited about your uncircumcision, it doesn't count for anything. You're human, working. The only thing that matters is the Spirit's working through your faith and love. That's what matters. That's the sign of salvation. So, let's conclude. Well, I do want to tie one more thing in here because I, I think it's really good to see. Almost the identical statement is made just a little further down in in verse 22. Here's what he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, that's what he says in verse 6, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In verse 6 he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. If you look at both those together, the only part that's really different is but faith working in love is replaced by but a new creation. You see that? We live by faith working in love only because the Spirit comes, creates a new person inside of us. So, come back to the original charge. Nothing good can come outside of your union with Christ. And your union with Christ is always through Spirit-led faith which produces love. So practically speaking, this week, first of all, if you think you've never trusted in Christ, 
if you think you've only been playing the righteousness game, I want to offer you Christ who came to reconcile you to Himself, who's offering you a gift of righteousness which self-destructs if you want to add your own righteousness to it. You take it as a gift from Him. And when you receive it as a gift from Him, He'll change you. He'll make you a loving person. You'll no longer look at sinners and go, look at those bad people over there. But what you'll do is you'll say, that's me. It's 100% me if Christ didn't give me grace. And for those of you who are trusting in Christ, who know Christ is your perfect righteousness, but tend to forget like we all tend to forget, I want to challenge you this week. Have those words ringing in your ear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, how do I have union with you, Christ? By faith living in the power of the Spirit. That's my challenge to you. Father, help us be people that seek Your face. You save those who look outside of themselves for a Savior. Lord, I pray that we would be live the type of lives that don't seek to build up our own righteousness for our own glory, but rather seeks to glorify You, to wait and long and look for Christ. Lord, I pray that He would. You would send Him soon. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.